stand up for yourself and I'll back you up because problems don't solve themselves I'll tell you what instead of would or could I think you should draw a line in the sand and stand your ground it's for your own good Hello, welcome to our next episode, The Voice of Families and Addiction. My name is Roy Poyan. I'll be your host today. And today we're going to discuss Invest in the Family Ministry. It's a review of spirituality for the families and their practice as a family as they address the issues of addiction. I have to tell you, I feel like I'm really stepping out on a limb here, emotionally as well as uh, being sensitive to how other people view what is extremely personal issues of their faith and their faith practice and their following of the Lord. But if you will just afford me this one luxury and, and, and allow me to just present a thought, it helps us to frame what it is that we're going to talk about. Because as we look at the voice of families, we're looking at the voice as an internal voice. How does the family talk to itself as individual family members about what they're experiencing in addiction? We need, we need to be compassionate to ourselves. We need to be kind to ourselves. We're going to go through a lot of trauma in this. And in a sense, if we are practicing our faith, then it's likely that we know that the Lord is with us in each of these events that take place. And we might even want to consider that this is an opportunity, although very uh, tenuous and, and difficult and, and frustrating uh, as it is, it gives us a moment to reflect back on what we've been taught is our faith, is our spirituality, and apply it. And that takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of communio and sharing to help us to know, am I viewing this in the right framework of me as a person? And then am I viewing this as a, uh, a member of our, my faith community, our church, our parish, our congregation? Am I viewing this as the way that I think personally, the way that Lord, the Lord is asking me to view it? Am I strengthened by the knowledge and my belief that he is present with me? So we often turn to the Bible, and one of the passages that I found helpful in this kind of uh, foray is John 15, verse 2. And I'll just briefly read it. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it and makes it bear more fruit. I'm going to stop there because I think that that's very relevant for us. When we're looking at being pruned, we're not necessarily looking at it like, oh, we're bad. I'd like for you to consider, if you're a gardener, you can relate to this, if, if, a, if a rosebud dies, or should I say when a rosebud dies, we, we prune the top of it at, at, at around one leaf down or one thorn down. And, and, it, and we know that when we prune that, it removes what is dead and not useful. Not useful being the key word there. And then we find that a whole plethora of other buds come up because it was properly pruned in a timely way. And when we look at the issues that we're facing with the behaviors that are presenting and how we have as family members to respond to them, 
The question is, did we respond using our strength of our faith? And, and, and I'm not suggesting, oh, shame on you, or you should feel guilty, or you didn't do it right. Take away all that. Those are self-expressions. Those are more like worldly expressions. They, they're not useful. They're not helpful for you. But instead, um, you know, you might even, you might even want to turn to um, James, uh, James 2. Uh, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. So what, what we're doing there is we're saying, excuse me, that was 12, <laughs> James 12. And James 2, we're saying, consider it all to joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And then I drop down to 12. So with that in mind, we're taking a look at the Lord is talking to us and he's saying, I'm not going to create problems for you to stumble over, but I'm going to be there when you stumble over them. And I'm going to bring to you through the Holy Spirit and other ways, I'm going to be there with you and you'll feel my presence when you allow me to. And by using whatever is your faith practice to have that communion with me, I'll have you share it with others also. Because then it blossoms. You become a light in the darkness. Now, these are very dark issues. But what's hopeful about all this is an overwhelming majority of people get through this. I mean, a fantastic, well, overwhelming majority of people get through this and achieve successful lifelong recovery. So there is no permanence to the behaviors and the trials and, and all, all that's happening. There, it's more of a, um, as it happens, how did you respond? And um, did you have an opportunity? Did you use it? And then don't be critical of yourself, but share what you, what you experienced with others. So what we're saying then is that we're going to use our faith practices as we address these very traumatic issues of lying, cheating, stealing, things that you would think, boy, I'll never forgive them for doing this. And now we're breaking apart the family. And it's not that we're doing it. It's that this disease is doing it. And it just, it just I mean, if I were the devil, I would create this disease because this is perfect for destroying things. And it does. So it's not a matter of did we let it happen. It's more a matter of could we, can we, should we, did we think about at the moment and maybe immediately following if we didn't at the moment, what does God have to say about all this? How does the Lord want me to practice? Well, I'll be honest with you. If you're like me, when I have a community wrapped around me and I have people that I can talk to about my faith journey, uh, when I'm suffering, then that just makes the suffering a little bit more easy to understand. It's still going to be suffering either way. And the pain will still be there. But for some reason... It's almost like the pain has a purpose when I've learned something new about how to come closer to God when I'm feeling so low. And um, uh, Paul explains that too in, in his writings where he says, I'm at my strongest when I'm at my weakness because when I'm at my weakness, that's when I turn most in a strong way for God. And um, although God doesn't create these problems so that you come closer to him, he sure certainly rejoices when we do. So the question then is, 
So where do we get all this rejuvenation and understanding and support? Well, there's key stakeholders in all of our communities. Yeah, there's a coach, there's a guidance counselor, there's, there's the police, there's emergency room, there's doctors, there's community agencies, there's non-for-profit groups, there's all these different groups. But the one that focuses the most on our spirituality, that's a stakeholder in our community, is our church, our place of faith practice, our temple, our mosque, our parish, whatever your faith is, then that is the place where there is a stakeholder in the drug epidemic. <clears throat> the question is, are they prepared to be that for us as a society? Well, somebody could say very easily, and it's true, and we want them to do this uh, a lot. They offer meeting spaces at our churches for NA, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and all the different categories of mental illness. It's fantastic because they're geographically located close to us, and we can get to them, and it's not a big interruption in time. We're there typically once a week anyhow, and people that believe in the same way we believe are also there. Then the real question is, are those our faith groups? Typically, they're organizations, which is really good, once again, but typically they're not our faith groups. They're, they're not practicing our faith. They're occupying a space at our location. The challenge that I'd like to put out to all of us, and myself is included, is that we create a ministry in our churches specifically for the purpose of ministering to the families as they go through the trials, and it's a lifelong trial, of the disease of substance use disorders. So with this in mind, we know that the family gets impacted, but are we truly set up with a ministry that we can invest in them as a faith practice? And for the reasons that I think are more kind of like strategic or structure oriented, we, we don't have many like books that explain here's how you set up a ministry specifically for families that are going through substance use disorders and its impacts. So that's why Families Impacted by Opioids created such, such a program. It's, a, it's title is Invest in the Family Ministries, Families on a Journey with Substance Use Disorders. And what it does is it helps for the parish, church, temple to go ahead and create a ministry and create a mission statement, create a vision, and create a philosophy based around the idea that we are as a faith practice for our congregation and those in the community who choose to use us uh, offering this ministry here for families that are dealing with substance use disorders. And this document, actually this booklet, helps you to organize exactly that. Let's just kind of give this some air and, and take a look at what it does for us. Basically, we start off with the mission statement, the value station statement, and other types of important areas. And then we, we actually have an organization chart. And from that, we have the opportunity to define the roles that each person will play. And so what we often find when we create a ministry is that we don't really have a, do, you know, a document to hand a volunteer and say, listen, this, this is your role inside of this ministry. 
Well, you do with this, okay? This gives you just that. It gives you roles and responsibilities for each person in that org chart that I just showed you on your screen. So when you start to say, okay, well, that's great, Roy. You're giving us a role and responsibility, but, you know, how does that work? Well, what it does is it sits there and says to the person, you're going to be a volunteer, and we're going to invest in you as volunteers in this ministry first. Before we ever invite somebody to the ministry, we're going to have you as a volunteer grow in your faith, in your practice, so everybody in this ministry wins. So it's not just a matter of helping the family members that come. You're also developing and nurturing the volunteers. And here's how we do that. We've got the seven habits of highly effective ministry volunteers. And we go through all seven habits that will create for this volunteer a very substantiated position for themselves in being a volunteer. This makes them more effective and more confident to participate in the ministry. Believe it or not, this also makes the ministry more sustainable because it has more fortitude. It's just not something that people show up to. It's one that everybody has a role in and understands a role and how that will be conducted. So then we sit there and we say, well, Roy, we don't understand an awful lot about the issues that a family faces when they're going through addiction. So as an impact to the family system. So how are we going to have a meeting if, you know, we're not clinicians? And what I'm saying to you is you're a believer in your faith practice, and that's what you're going to share. You're showing up in their lives, and that means everything. What I've just described for you is the element of hope, and that's your role. You provide hope. You have a time, a location, a meeting agenda, you're there to listen and to participate in these lives of these people as they face these issues. Now, we give to you a PowerPoint presentation with voiceover on each slide so that you can go through any one of the 32 key issues that these families are going to experience. We also have produced a television series titled Fentanyl and Families in Harm's Way. And what that will do for you is it gives you kind of a TV format to put up in your meeting. So a typical meeting might last one and a half hours, and part of that, say 30 minutes or so, is actually through video. We also have a handout for practical exercises. But you might sit there and say, hey, that's great for the, you know, the education of the families, but what have we done from a faith practice standpoint? Well, that's where the program that's inserted into this Invest in the Family Ministry comes in that's titled SPARKS, sp hyphen. A-R-K-S, Sparks. And what Sparks does for us is it provides us a spiritual arc. And inside this spiritual arc will contain our understanding of how to work in a meeting and help the person to identify themselves and their personal journey in their faith practice. So what I'm not suggesting is that you pre-pick 16 different verses in the Bible and go through and today we're going to talk about God's wrath and you know you're going to listen and you're going to get something out of this I'm not suggesting that you could do that if what you choose to do that and that's fine but what I'm giving you in this in this in this manual is the ability to then take a group of questions so that in these questions you'll be able to identify that this is a weighted factor of six categories 
in practicing one's faith. And uh, abide in Christ is one, and there are 10 questions that you would ask. And in your response, you would give a, a response of, I never do that, I seldom do that, I occasionally and frequently, or I always do that. One, two, three, four, or five. And the questions for abide in Christ might be, I practice regular quiet time in meditation with Christ. So you put down never, seldom, occasionally. And you do that in each of the six categories. The other one is live in the scriptures. There's um, pray in faith. And then there are two other, three other categories, fellowship with believers, witness to the word, and minister to others. Well, each one of these categories has around 10 questions with the weighted number of, I seldom do it, I often do it, one, two, three, four, five. So what you then do is you take that scoring, and this is all the book, and the instructions are all in the book, and you put it onto a chart. And the chart actually allows you to see where your strengths and weaknesses are. Now what you're doing is you're taking yourself, your journey, you're learning about key issues that are involved in how this addiction and as a disease impacts your family, and you're also including into it your spiritual, uh, your spiritual practices by having sparks as part of your meeting design. And you're starting to create kind of a, let's have each person work on their individual area where they would like to strengthen themselves. And you might sit there and think, oh, well, you know, we don't have an awful lot of resources here at our church to go running down in every individual person's role. And I would say, you're right. You probably don't, and that's not, that's not expected of you. But when you start to look at this book, it will show you that online there are many, and we actually list them out, many different type of Protestant and Catholic. There's a book that's Catholic and there's a book that's Protestant. Um, areas online that will help each individual find their area of interest in growing and strengthening their faith practice. So when they come to the meeting, it's not a matter just of saying, okay, we're going to review uh, Galatians 5. It, it's a more of a matter of, now let's take some time after we've learned a little bit more about the key issues in addiction in the family, let's take some time and work on our spiritual plan. Because this is work that they're doing outside the meeting, in their life, in their, at their home or at work when they take a break. And they're actually starting to grow in faith and in a more accountable way. And then you sit there and you think, eee, gads, I mean, that's a lot. Well, honestly, it takes the weight off, not puts the weight on. Because as we include God to this journey, we find that he lifts us up and he carries more of our weight. And we find meditation in prayer and we find ways of communicating with others on a common dialogue. Maybe you have somebody that by phone, you, you're, it's, it's your spiritual partner and you tell them, we're going through a lot with this, with this brain disease and um, I don't expect that you're gonna help me in all those areas. But in my spiritual faith practices, in using what we teach in our faith, uh, maybe we could have discussions about that moving forward. So that's, that's kind of a position that a pastor can then take in terms of supporting this ministry. 
I wouldn't recommend you do it that way. I would recommend that you put a notice in the bulletin and you say, we're going to have a ministry coming up and we would like for anybody who's interested in participating in the volunteer of this ministry um, to join us on a certain time. Get in touch with so-and-so and and plan to attend. You know, it'll be about an hour and a half meeting. Uh, And you'll have about, oh, we've said in this uh, user manual about six of those developmental meetings before you're going to be ready to kind of go live. So when you're starting to do this, families impacted by opioids at 440-385-7605 is available to help walk you through this. And we can do a Zoom meeting with your team. So if you have any questions, they can get answered. But I want you to know that you're not going to have to go out on a limb and, and do this by yourself. So when you're taking a look at the community and you're suggesting, well, you know, should we be offering it to the community as well as to our congregation? Personally, I would suggest that you start off with your congregation and keep it home uh, in the beginning. And then as you become more uh, flourished and, and, and experienced, uh, then you might consider opening it up to the general community at whole. Um, you can do it either way. You can start right off with the general community and your congregation uh, in terms of attracting people. You may find that you are able to help people to see the value of your faith practices and where you're located, and, and they kind of might want to join you. Um, that's not uncommon at all. But what is common in this journey with spirituality and the families is that we're not going to go through this alone. I mean, whether you, whether you are accepting of that or not doesn't make a difference. You're, you're not going to go through this alone. The, the, the Lord is with us on all of these things. Whether we're with the Lord or not, that, that's a personal decision. But he wants to be included in this. So, and says it many times in the Bible. I mean, we see this over and over again, how much he wants to carry our burdens. And in our practices, it shows us how to go about doing that. So what we're doing is we're suggesting to the um, parishes, churches, temples, mosques, open your doors, go ahead and have a ministry that's designed for families. It's not a support ministry. It's not a ministry of just faith. It's a combination of support, education, and faith. So it's kind of all three in one, which makes it a beautiful expression of this. It makes it a beautiful expression. Makes it a beautiful expression of love. It's a sharing God's love with others and their suffering and pain. And when we take a look at how we're going to do that, this manual is maybe one of others. Uh, I'm not sure that there's many manuals out there right now. There probably will be in the future. Of uh, this is how a church can set up a ministry specifically for families that are dealing with the issues and the impact of substance use as a brain disease with one of their family members or loved ones. So with that in mind, do you then circumvent any kind of family therapy with this? No, I would hope not. I I would hope that, you know, a family that's going through this has a family therapist. And this is more of a combination and kind of an augmenting of different layers that you will create. So you'll have peer-to-peer coming in, you know, for, for the person that's the individual person and they're doing their mental health, and they're going to their NA meetings, and the family is going to this ministry, but they're also in family therapy and, uh, and uh, as individuals to improve their coping skills in all of this. This is not what we normally see. 
what we normally see is a family that's frightened, angry, and more or less withdrawn from the community. There are community stakeholders that are out there that families impacted by opioids and the voice of families in addiction is calling out to, shouting out to, and saying, we have to get involved. We have to get engaged. You cannot sit on the sidelines. If you're a coach, you cannot sit on the sidelines, okay? If you're a guidance counselor, you can't sit on the sidelines. And somebody might say, hey, wait a second. We're dealing with this. And I'm saying thank you for that. Now we want to kick it up a notch or two, and we want you to help us to get the family members, which typically do not come out for education and support, to get the family members so that they are accountable and interested in getting this level of sharedness in their lives. Because this is going to make a difference. We know that if we can educate and help a family in their knowledge base of what they're going to face, how they can respond, and who's here to help them, that that in itself will beat back a lot of areas that are ruining our society, our community, and our families. It's a matter of uniting ourselves around one thing. That one thing is the family. And the topic is recovery. The topic is not addiction. We should not be chasing after the topic of addiction. We should be always, always chasing after and, and mentioning and growing into recovery. Because recovery is hope. Recovery is real. And the addiction is more or less temporary. Although some people do have long-term addictions. But typically we find, you know, there's a span of maybe somewhere to 10, maybe 15 years, where they do eventually come out of it. And when you're on the other side of that, there's a lot of damage that's done. A lot of trauma has been experienced, and that requires forgiveness. It requires compassion. It requires love. And because of all of those, we find them in our faith practices. So let's laminate our experience with this by using our faith practice. Let the churches come to the table and set up ministries. Thank you very much. Once again, my name is Roy Poyan, and I welcome anybody that would like to call and talk and give your voice. Uh, if you'd like to be on this conference and, and this episode, next episodes, please give me a call, 440-385-7605. Stand up for yourself, and I'll back you up. These problems don't solve themselves I'll tell you what Instead of would or could I think you should Draw a line in the sand and stand your ground It's for your own good